Welcome to the Movement Podcast. This show is all about movement. We tackle it from different angles, bring on guests, answer questions, go on a few tangents, and give practical advice, giving you guys a better idea of how you can optimize the human body to be the best it can be. Let's preview what's coming up in this episode. For the third consecutive year, Arlington, Virginia was voted the fittest city in the United States based on annual rankings compiled by the American College of Sports Medicine and the Anthem Foundation. With that as a backdrop, Gray and Lee discuss what fit really means. We look at what factors are used to define fit and what variables may be overlooked as well. We explore socioeconomic status, stress, and other risk factors that can play a part in fitness. Gray compares our current fitness experience to dog parks and zoo animals. The guys also debate physical awareness versus social awareness. We break down how manipulation of environment can skew your fitness results, exercising to failure, and advice for the average person who wants to be fit. Lastly, Gray offers up what he thinks is a holistic definition of what fit means. So strap in for another episode of the Movement Podcast, powered by FMS. So, Gray, in that little town of Chatham, Virginia, I don't think we'll ever be voted the most or the fittest um, city or town in America. But interesting enough, Arlington, Virginia was voted the fittest place in America. And it's always been, in my opinion, you know, one, how do they define fit, right? How do you define who's the most fit person? You and I are sitting here. We could both have different definitions of fitness. And when you look at those stats, you always notice that the Deep South, you know, a lot of those, you know, less um, have less socioeconomic status than some of these other places that are more fit. So I'd make an argument that socioeconomics have a bigger role than maybe somebody going to the gym and eating right. No, you're, you're absolutely right. When you've got a little bit of extra time, a sedentary lifestyle and disposable income, you can easily find somebody to exercise you. But I tell you, you know, I've seen these dog uh, daycare dog parks. And basically, you take your dog to play with other dogs that have expendable energy because they really don't act like dogs anymore. Dogs run around and sniff things and, you know, get dirty and stuff like that. And I honestly think that the the current fitness uh, experience that most people have is like an adult dog park. They just run around and do stuff. And it does. It, it, it releases some of the positive chemicals in your body when a body is meant to move. But does it address your risk factors at all? That's, that's a simple discussion. We are expending calories for no purpose whatsoever. These aren't feeding our family. They're not building houses for the homeless. We're just expending calories for a future promise. And if you're not reducing risk factors, what's that future promise about? Yeah, but your assumption, though, Gray, for a lot of those people, one thing you said there is they've got, you know, disposable income and they've got what you would, I, what I took from what, one of the things you said there that kind of made me put a light, hit the light bulb for me is time. So one thing I would say about a lot of these people who are in that category at that higher level socioeconomic level, especially in Arlington, Virginia, where they're outside of DC, you know, it's a high stress. A lot of these people have high stress jobs. That's one risk factor. If you're stressed out. And a lot of those individuals are working their butts off. A lot of these people who are in that socioeconomic level, who are living in Arlington, Virginia, who are living in LA and New York and a lot of these places like that, who are, have a higher, you know, considered more fit, they're working hard and their stress level is elevated. So how do you account for that? 
So they may not, so, so they may not, time may not be the thing. No, I, no, I, I totally understand. And when, when you are stressed mentally without an equal distribution of physical stress, you got to go dump that physical stress. And it's ironic, uh, last, last couple of months, at least few weeks, you and I have been both entering the gym here at FMS doing our own little thing, not at the beginning of the day at the end of the day, because oh, yeah. you got it. We got to get this just like everybody else. We got to get that crap off of us in a work day and that physical expenditure. So I don't dishonor that at all. But my whole point is everything you take stress for in the day has a purpose and a goal and a precision and a feedback loop. And everything you do in your adult play called exercise may or may not, as long as you don't think you're getting better at something, then it's fine. You're just dumping stress. But if you also have a goal of actually reforming yourself or changing your physical presence or extending your life or learning a skill, what's your feedback loop? Well, could you also say that it's about personality type? Certain personalities are going to be much more likely to be fit than others. Yes, we have, we have two kinds of people. Some people would rather practice than compete. They avoid competition at all costs, but internally they compete. Runners are of that. There's a lot of runners who've been running for five or 10 years, never been in a race. Don't want to face that. They are totally internal. And every now and then, I think you should come out of your cave and see what your running technique and running numbers look like, just so you'll know if you're eroding the situation or enhancing the situation. Other people, all they want to do is play and compete. And, and sometimes adult fitness is like, well, what's my workout of the day? They've got no background in these lifts, but it's issued to them as a challenge. So every day is let's play with weights. And that's not really going to end at a goal either. So my, I, I say all that great to throw this at you is how do you go back to what I think I said earlier is how do you define fit? Because a lot of these studies, a lot of these surveys, and that's really what it is, a survey how much do they take into account those risk factors? How much do they take into account? Have you had pain in the last week? Have you had stress? Are you sleeping right? A lot of those things that we've been talking about, are they considering those things when they try to determine who's the most fit individual? They do not. And I think it's a new way to look at things because only recently have we been able to confidently say exercise is actually a risk factor for a musculoskeletal injury or a physical problem. Exercise has never been looked at this way before. I'm, lo I'm looking at a book called Hyperkinetic Disease, Hypokinetic Disease, that hypo low kinetic motion disease. Dr. Hans Krauss, uh, Kennedy's secret physician, the book's on Audible and you can get it anywhere. Kennedy being? JFK. All right. Okay. Both he and Eisenhower conferred with this so guy. This is not new information. Not new information. Yeah. The, the Krauss-Weber test we've mentioned before, and I want you guys to look that up. But as far back as the mid-50s, we realized we weren't moving like other places in the world. And it's very, after, after a war, it's very, very smart to compare yourself physically to the other cultures in the world to see what's happening to us. And what Krauss, who was, you know, born and raised in Europe and came to New York as a, as a physician said, Ooh, there's a totally different definition of fitness in where I grew up in Austria and got out during, during war and went to Switzerland and stuff and here. And, and so he was seeing people, he said, the people that are making it through a physical now would have been considered sick 
by European standards 30 years ago on the same physical examination. And so what he was proposing is exercise. But when he said exercise, what he was saying is elevate your activity. Activity. Yeah. Yeah. Elevate your activity. You know, you said something that a lot of these surveys and a lot of these, when they're trying to define fit, one of the questions they ask is how often do you work out? Well, just because I work out five days a week does not make me fit. It can actually be just the opposite. Not at all. And you know, when we first proposed the movement screen, it was really funny. There had been almost eight to 10 years of discussion of functional exercise before we ever had a baseline for function. That's like basically selling glasses before you got an eye chart. I mean, how do I know they're working? You know, it's my own personal feelings about this and, and not that. So when we threw out the movement screen, the number one thing is, well, I've been doing function, functional exercise for about two years, so I'll be fine. Yeah, but why do people even? Why was people even gravitating to this whole idea about functional exercise? And we're talking about fitness, and we talk about fitness. Most people don't equate fitness to function. No, That's they a don't. whole different discussion. No, they don't. And it and it's so neat because uh, Krauss uh, said something in this book. He said more people, and he's talking 1961 when this book was published. More people are going for the slim physique than the function that is normally associated with the slim physique, meaning I want to have the appearance of fitness, even if I don't have the, the platform of fitness. And, you know, the old statement is it's the way that creates the warrior. But I can put you in camo, Lee, that don't make you a soldier. <laughs> yeah, it might help. It's all in how you look, man. It Come makes on. you a redneck. Yeah, that's why I don't make nice you a soldier. And, and wear the nice polo when I get right. But I, I honestly think we we pose a lot more as fitness enthusiasts than really we could survive physical hardship. And let's be honest: when when biology coined the term fitness as survival of the fittest, okay, then it basically means when things go sideways, when you are physically oppressed, when you are physically stressed, you have a level of resiliency and resourcefulness that demonstrates you don't just have to move one way. You don't just need sidewalks to run on. You can run on any surface. You can climb anything. Right. It's, you know. it's basically what you're saying is it really goes back to what we've said for years. It's the non-failure strategy. It's are you fit enough to survive and meet your goals and do what you need to do? And that's where I think going kind of circling all the way back to the socioeconomic thing, most people are just trying to get up, go to work, make their rent payment every month, and keep doing that until they wake up one day and they're 80 years old. And are they fit enough for what they want to do? Maybe they are. Well, one thing I can tell you is we don't bury a lot of overweight or obese 80 and 90 year olds. We bury a lot of overweight and obese 50, 60 and 70 year olds. So if anything, the Western lifestyle, the metabolic syndrome, and you can look that up, that classify living in a toxic lifestyle and yet still trying to have the aesthetic of fitness, we still try to lose weight but we don't lose weight the way the world has maintained a healthy weight, which is basically getting up and having a little bit of stress. When you go to a zoo and these animals are pacing in the cage, they don't have enough stress. And as soon as we make the cages bigger and, and give the polar bears a big old medicine ball to slap around, they physically expend that stress and they don't pace back and forth in one place. What's a treadmill? 
Is that pacing back and forth in one place as a zoo human thinking you're becoming fit? Because you take that tiger out of the cage, it's been in their life all, all their life. They don't know how to get food. They don't know how to do anything except pace back and forth. But from the outside, that tiger looks very much the same as another tiger because they've rationed the food so they don't get heavy. Whereas the tiger in nature is always very close to starvation if they don't get up and do something. Right. So, I mean, again, again, it goes back to behavior, environment. And again, everybody around the world, no matter where you are, who you are, you know the recipe to be fit. You know the recipe to be healthy. And there's only a handful of things that we all know we need to do. So it's no secret. It's just a matter of whether you have, again, the whether it's personality or whether it's just the, you know, need, um, to go out and do the certain things you need to do to be more fit. And I would use the word more healthy rather than fit. No, you're, and, and, and I would say that too. And, and I, Ed Thomas and I had this discussion a few different times. He said, you know, back in the uh, uh, 1900, 1910, 1920, when people would show up at these Turner style gyms, the, they look like gymnastic gyms, but basically they were CrossFit boxes. They were boxes that didn't just have a bunch of stationary weight training equipment. They had weighted wands and kettlebells and Indian clubs and rope uh, net ladders that you had to climb and all these calisthenics. And Ed said this, and it has never left me. He said, people showed up at these gymnastic spaces to learn a skill or become consistent with a skill. And the workout was the side effect. Yeah. Any asshole can make you tired. That don't make them a coach. That's right. Lee, I want to just build a, a thought experiment or an example that Shocker. Made... <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't I, believe you're going to do that. Well, I've had to. I've been having to explain shit to you for years. So uh, let me... <laughs> still have to decipher. Let me see if I can Dr. Seuss this for you. No, no, seriously. If, if you had... You and I have both been around even speakers on the stage that are very, very aware of what they say in their stage presence. And we've seen them deliver the exact same talk to two different audiences in an elegant way because they read the faces, they read the room, they just know how to work the situation, okay? So being aware of yourself and the, and the way you come across to people does give you an advantage in social situations. Would you agree? Yes. Okay. If you are physically aware and you don't have your routine in front of you. You don't have your situation. You've got physical obstacles. You've got to overcome physical adversity, not social adversity. If you're physically aware, you're going to basically do better in physical situations, even if they're not familiar. That's my point. Well, but how, how can you, you separate the two? I mean, if you take a person who is you know, obese or over, not even obese, just say overweight, that is going to determine their self-awareness. Their physical presence is going to dictate their self-awareness in many situations. So how can you separate the two out? If you look around and more people look like you than don't, then who's the outlier? Because we've got a predominance of people who are carrying way more weight than, than health would ask them to right now, but they actually look more average than somebody who's actually age appropriate lean. Seriously, they do. So sure, when, as long as you're with the majority, you never ask yourself the question if you're right or not. And that's, that's a big problem. And right, but doesn't that, that still drives your decision-making that still d dictates how you, how you go out and interact with your other people in your environment. 
It doesn't matter. You're, it's still self-awareness, whether it's physical or non-physical. You're right. Physical, physical could drive it just as much as non-physical could drive it. I've never met somebody that that is heavy, and I've actually had what? some- What? No, no. I've never, <laughs> met, I've never somebody, met somebody that's heavy? No, no. I've never met somebody that's heavy and didn't have an excuse, but that don't make it a reason. I've been, I've been way heavier than I needed right. to be. I had a lot of excuses for it, but none of them were good reasons. And so what I'm, what I'm saying is it's almost like we've got a culture right now that argues for their weakness and expects society and culture to accommodate whatever thing oh, well, is, is that, weak in you right now. No question. Even now more than ever. I mean, we're, that's, that's what our society does. Our society tries to make things easier for the people who are let's just say less fortunate. And, and, and I guess where I was going with that is being socially self-aware is using feedback. And, and I, I think the, the stat is now, you know, in communication, you and I back and forth, only about 20% of what you and I are sending and receiving is verbal. I'm looking at how many times you yawn when I'm talking, how many times you look at your watch when I'm talking, all those say something about what's going on here, yeah. but that's okay. But I'm aware of that. Okay. So that means maybe Lee's looking at the time limit or something like that. I'm aware of that. When people think they're healthy and we can prove in less than 15 minutes that they actually have seven or eight risk factors, where do we go from there? Because that's a conflict resolution that's getting right, ready. But that's kind of my point is that self-awareness, that's going to dictate how I act tomorrow. I mean, if I just give, if you, if I just give you a survey, Gray, and out of that survey, you realize, oh my God, I didn't realize I was doing this. And this is a major problem. You're more likely to change that tomorrow. You know what though? The funny thing is the information's out there. We knew about trans fats for 30 years. Nobody took them off the shelf until somebody took it down to a Mark Twain discussion and said, the American Heart Association supported this shit because they thought cholesterol was bad. So we can't eat butter anymore. We got to eat laboratory manufactured margarine. 30 years later, holy shit, that's worse than the saturated fat we have. The American Heart Association does a 180 and says that's bad. It's like, shouldn't you just dissolve the American Heart Association? We were 180 degrees freaking wrong. And now we expect you to listen to us. It's like what, when something is that wrong, it's better to let it go ahead and die and then do something completely new than it is to 100, 180 degree your opinion and offer nobody an apology. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's the dissolve the damn thing and make it better. But don't tell me one thing and 30 years later say, oh, we were absolutely wrong. A strike is a ball and a ball is a strike. Really? We're going to dissolve baseball for a while. <laughs> When, when you're socially aware, you constantly use the best feedback you could possibly use, the body language and signals. People aren't using the feedback loops in fitness. All they keep doing is saying, hey, But oh. you can't separate the two. That's my point. As you, you, you start, we start off talking about separating physical awareness and self-awareness. It's the same thing. No, no. I was saying physical awareness and social awareness. So physical awareness is the way I appear physically. Social awareness is the way I communicate with others. And so most- But again, it's this, I don't think you can separate the two because your physical awareness is going to dictate how you interact socially. Of course. It's, it's an asset, but- Right. Right. But- but what? If you're fat walking around on stage talking about weight loss, ain't nobody going to listen to you. I'm right. just sorry. So, but, not. Your physical, but that's your physical awareness dictating how you are socially and vice versa. You could, be the mo you could be the best orator in the world and there'd be people in overweight talking about eating right and you'd have a lot of those people 
leaving thinking, man, I've got to change my diet. But nothing's worked. I'm, I'm talking about what you just said. If you have the best person, the best order, the best person who can engage and interact, whether on stage or whatever, but they're obese, they're still going to have people taking away their message. They will. I just don't know if anything will happen. I honestly think you're... Well, that's ne- a different discussion. If you're the same way... When, your- when you say nobody's going to take... You're not going to take away anything. Well, that's... I mean, 20% of the population now is probably taking something away. 20% of the people that are listening to us right now are probably taking something away. The other 80% are probably <laughs> distracted and doing something different. <laughs> We're just trying to get 20%. <laughs> They're wondering who's on their radio. I'm trying to change this thing while I'm parallel parking and I can't get these guys out of my head. Yeah. So, All right, let's take a break. And when we return, Gray and Lee discuss how manipulating your environment can alter your fitness results, exercising to failure, and advice for the average person who wants to be fit. For over 30 years, Functional Movement Systems has been the leader in movement health. We've developed a system that bridges the gap between fitness, performance, and healthcare professionals. Our screen and assessment tools help pros set the course for their clients and patients and gets them moving well so they can continue to move often. The Functional Movement Screen is the foundation of our system and checks vital signs in movement competency through patterns. From youth or professional athletics to the elderly population and everyone in between, the screen is your starting point. The presence of pain is a vital sign we consider in our system. The Selective Functional Movement Assessment, geared toward healthcare professionals, is the diagnostic assessment for individuals experiencing pain during movement or with the screen. Once proper treatment is administered by clinicians, the patients are cleared to resume regular activity the screen is once again at play to set the movement baseline. But what's next? When an individual displays competency in the screen, it's time to advance to another level. The Fundamental Capacity Screen, which tests for fitness, performance, and capacity. The system identifies whether individuals warrant additional rehabilitation or corrective exercise, or if they're ready for performance-based activity. Decide what course is right for you and get started on your professional journey today. So, Greg, when we look at a lot of these stats that determine the, the fittest city and, and you look at the CrossFit Games, they say they have the fittest athlete in the world. It really comes down to the environment and it really comes down to what environment you're in and are you fit based off those standards? Not necessarily are you healthy, you know, because, I mean, you could be the, the CrossFit athlete by their definition. Yeah, I would agree. They're probably the fittest person in that environment. But you take them into a different environment, they may not be fit. No, exactly. And, and biologically speaking, fitness has always been defined by how you succeed or handle your environment. So survival of the fittest means in this environment, the ones that prevail are fitter. It doesn't mean they're right. It doesn't mean they're perfect. But the Super Bowl team survive the season better than any other team, it doesn't mean that if we went through and did all the physical health stats, we would find physically better specimens. But somehow through grit and emotional drive and strategy and tactics and techniques, they survive the season with a win, not a loss. CrossFit Games, different environment because everybody in the NFL knows what they're headed for. CrossFit Games, they're headed to a variety of activities that they don't get to pick. So there's a, there's a, um, um, 
unfamiliarity there. They, they know some of the things they'll do, but they may be throwing a ball or swimming a mile. They never know what they're doing. So that's something cool as well. But my problem is there's a lot of people out there that continue to manipulate the environment to make you think you're fitter than you are. Five miles on a treadmill ain't five miles on a trail, but there's a lot of people running five miles on a treadmill that think that means something, and you may not do very well on your next hike or trail. Well, what did we learn when we, you and I both were probably in eighth grade, maybe ninth grade, when we took our old health and fitness class? What comes before fitness? Your ability to survive and how, you know, we're kind of throwing our definition out there, survive in your environment, you're the fittest, but you got to be healthy first. And I think that gets overlooked because you and I both have seen enough pro athletes that when they walk in the door after a season that they've been extremely successful at, they're not healthy. No. And they, I would argue those CrossFit, the person standing on the stage of CrossFit Games, the fittest athlete, probably not healthy, probably a little beat up. But you may, you said something really important there. Grit allowed them to get through there. Doesn't mean they're healthy. They may be fit, but they may not be healthy. And you know, one thing that I think a lot of very successful athletes get, they get the rest and regen part better than most of their opponents. There are a lot of people that think exercising to failure three days a week will actually get them gritty. I've had very deep conversations with a lot of martial artists and strength coaches that say, we never train to failure because I don't want you to know what the hell that feels like. Meaning I will always assign loads at a slightly bigger grade. There was a really cool thing, but there's a book called Becoming Superman. It talks about guys like Lance Armstrong and Tony Hawk that have just prevailed in these X game, big wave sports, whatever. And the funny thing is they never bite off about 4% more than they can chew. Meaning the athletes that not only perform at a high level, but stay in the game a long time, never do anything except a little more than they did yesterday. And they don't even attempt that every day. Well, that's, how you become, that's how you stay healthy. That to me, in my opinion, that's the re- real recipe. That's the secret sauce is you've got to push yourself but don't push yourself too far. And if you do push yourself too far, which again, we all do to a degree, you've got to give yourself time to recover. Because at the end of the day, one thing that I've been trying to say in every talk I do, it's about long-term health and vitality. Not what I'm going to do tomorrow. Not what I'm going to do the next day. But right now, great for me, I want to be 80 years old and feel pretty damn good. There was a guy named Jim Brown, played for the Cleveland Browns. Are you going to compare me to Jim Brown? No, I'm not even oh, close I to thought, doing that. I mean, the same um, sentence, Lee Burton, Jim Brown. Maybe we could good. get you a shirt and you might wear the same shirt. But no, Jim Brown played in the day when he was a running back, literally the size of most of the linebackers. Interesting thing. Uh, I think his uh, single run stats, meaning I think he can, I think he averaged more than five yards a carry, which means every two times he touches a ball, you're probably going to get a, a first down. I don't think anybody's done that. He had this whole thing. He always got up slow. And a lot of people said, oh, he's just showboating. He's buying time. He's doing this. He goes, no, I'm always going to get up slow because if they hurt me, I don't want them to know. And, and this is a guy who's playing on a completely different level. He knew he wasn't Superman, but if he does the same thing every time, it just becomes unbelievably intimidating to your opponent to know they can't do anything to knock you off your game. But even if he's hurt, he's getting up slow. So that's his default. I get up slow every time. They'll never know. And it's those extra little nuances and ways to read the environment and read your opponent that make greatness. The physical, he never assumed he could be slow. 
He never assumed he could be weak. He never assumed he didn't need the playbook. So, so many people think they can substitute grit for strategy. No, it's by the book, Belichick strategy. Now, you boys add some grit to that and we'll win. And that's, that's what you, I, all right. So <laughs> when you spend that back to the 45 year old, who's just trying to be health, be healthy and fit. Yeah. How do you take that and just, and give that person advice? Here's what I say. And, and, and I'm going to make it as simple as possible. If your two favorite activities are a little recreational jogging during the week and hiking on the weekends, and you've got an ankle mobility problem or a balance problem, we're not even going to talk about anything else, but you're welcome to talk to somebody else because this is the biggest barrier to your skill acquisition and one of the biggest risk factors for somebody who wants to be on their feet a lot. So now that we know this, if you want to talk about your running splits and your hiking boots and all these other things that will distract you from the fact that your left and right ankle aren't even a match set, we're done. And, and as I'm a little bit older and a little more jaded, I won't even have the alternative conversations. People bring me in their Google articles all the time. What about this? What about this? I'm like, those are all good points. They just don't apply to you right now. You can't even balance on your left leg. And that goes back to the argument of health becomes comes before fit. Exactly. Because you're out there trying to be fit, but you've overlooked what comes first. And that's you got to make sure you're healthy First. And again, that that's a whole nother, you know, that brings in behavior, stress, and everything else we've talked about. But that's that's what's the priority. And I think we can define fitness many, many different ways. And I think traditionally, if we look at how we're looking at it right now, Gray, just surviving your environment means you're fit. You're fit, right? A Navy SEAL's got to mean a minimum level of fitness to be a Navy SEAL. CrossFit Games person's got to mean a minimal level of fitness to be the fittest person. Minimal, right? Not maximum, minimal. And, and here's what's happened. We've got a culture right now that's been very illuminated as to what SEAL training actually is. You and I have both been to Coronado. We, we know what SEAL training is. We didn't read it in a book. We were there. But the point is, when the general public reads this kind of stuff and sees some of the amazing things done by NFL players in their off-season training or in the CrossFit games, they automatically assume these are options. These are, these are no more options than what you see when you're watching the Avengers on the movie screen. These, these are impossibilities for you. However, we can take the exact same strategy that keeps these people healthy and bring it down and meet you right where you are, which is your biggest obstacle. Because when I talk to these people about the thing keeping them from their next thing, they, they listen loud and clear. They are coached and they, they realize that so many people basically impose and think I can be there. No, it's, it's a very, it's a very long journey to get there. Just take your next obstacle. And the funny thing is when we start doing these functional and fitness and health analyses of people, you and I find multiple problems. We don't discuss multiple problems. We discuss the problem that seems to precede all the others. And the funny and the thing, the problem typically creates the others. Yeah. And, and it's really easy to prove how big it creates the others because if you remove it and remeasure the others without messing with them, you will see that sometimes you can improve your balance without practicing your balance. Why? Because your system wasn't even ready. The only place where fitness ever comes before health is in the dictionary. And if your fitness is making you less healthy or putting you up for risk, we got a problem. And from 06 to 16, injuries gained uh, on a fitness pursuit demonstrated by ER visits almost quadrupled. So we've got, and I said this in one of my most recent talks, we've got an unbelievable escalation that looks almost like an epidemic 
of people getting injured trying to be fit and healthy, which means you just sacrificed your health for your fitness goal, which means your fitness goal was inappropriate, ambitious, or ill-informed. We're doing something a little different to close out our episode. Gray shares what he believes to be a holistic definition of fitness. He reads an excerpt from the American Dietetic Association's Complete Food and Nutrition Guide and then gives his thoughts. I think this is a very holistic definition of fitness, and it doesn't even come from the fitness world. It comes uh, from the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. A couple of bullet points. The energy to do what's important and makes you productive. Stamina and positive outlook to handle mental and emotional changes, ups and downs, everyday life with stress. Reduce risk of many health problems such as heart disease, cancer, diabetes, osteoporosis. The chance to look and feel your best. There's an aesthetic right there. Physical strength and endurance to accomplish physical challenges. A better chance for a higher quality of life, perhaps longer. If you had numeric ways to check each one of these things. I don't think people are checking these boxes as well as they could because they have a very narrow focus of fitness. My, my fitness life is all about yoga. My fitness life is all about running. But in doing that particular tactic, sometimes you lose the strategy. Why am I doing this? Because if you've been in yoga for four years and still have flexibility and breathing problems, who do I blame? Yoga Or do I blame you for not being aware that of the two things you should emerge from yoga with should be better mobility and a better, better breathing acumen of different situational breathing opportunities? This is the way I breathe when I run. This is the way I breathe when I got to count to 10 because I just had an argument with somebody. So if you don't have any better command of your flexibility or breath after confronting yoga, then I'm not saying you didn't participate. I'm just saying you didn't graduate. That'll do it for this episode of the Movement Podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you liked what you heard, please take a minute to subscribe, share, and review. If you want to learn more about our system and take the next step in your movement journey, visit us at movementpod.com. Until next time, remember to first move well, then move often.